So is Sidney Powell off the Trump team? Don't bet on it. Don't bet on it by a long shot. She's far from off the team. In fact, the team is doing a little razzle-dazzle, I believe, is the football term. Hi, everyone. I'm Jamie Dury for National Preview Online, and welcome to another National Preview Online podcast. If you have not already done so, please subscribe to the podcast. You can do so by going to the iTunes App Store and simply subscribing to NP Online. And the alternative, you can go to the Google Play Store, download the Podbean app. And you can also download the Podbean app in iTunes if you wish to use that as your um, podcast aggregator service. That is our hosting service, podbean.com. You can go there and you can subscribe just as easily. And this way you can listen to it on your Android devices as well. Please tell your friends about the show. We're trying to grow the show. This is our mission, uh, the creation of alternative conservative media. Now that we have seen uh, quite clearly in the aftermath of this 2020 election that many of the heretofore conservative stalwarts, such as Fox News, the Wall Street Journal, the venerable National Review, have all continued their inexorable lurch leftward. We have no intention of following in their footsteps. We are going to march forward with straight, out-and-out conservatism. Fair conservatism, but conservatism nonetheless. Right now, alternative conservative media is growing. Um, The reliable sources, as I just mentioned, are not so reliable anymore. Fortunately, we still have Newsmax, we still have OAN News Network, and of course there are the conservative talk show hosts on radio, such as Rush Limbaugh, um, Sean Hannity, and the like. On TV, there are select um, hosts that are worth listening to. Uh, we have you know, Tucker Carlson, although I was a little upset with the way he treated Sidney Powell, but more on Sidney Powell in due course. But generally, he's okay. We have Sean Hannity, of course. We have Laura Ingram. Uh, that's on the Fox News Channel. And then, of course, on the Fox Business Channel, you have Stuart Varney, Lou Dobbs, who's fearless, and the incredible Maria Bartiromo, who also does a show on the Fox Network called Sunday Morning Futures on, no doubt, no coincidence, Sunday morning. Uh, and so we, we can still get some benefit from Fox News. But more and more, uh, I find myself not listening to these uh more traditional, shall we say, conservative voices, uh, and I'm sure you do as well. That calling of the state of Arizona so early on in the evening, at the same time that the network displayed a great reluctance to call Florida for Trump, even though it was clear that it was mathematically impossible for Joe Biden to win the state of Florida, given that Trump had almost a 400,000 vote lead with 94% of the vote in. Uh, this goes to show you. And then we come to learn that the man who runs the decision desk um, at Fox is himself a lifelong, lifelong liberal. So there's a lot of things going on with News Corp, uh, both in their print publications. We just found that a longtime member of the Post is going to be retiring next year. Uh, there'll be an editorial change in the policy of that um, paper. And as Rupert Murdoch himself ages and his sons take on a greater role in the running of Fox News Corp, and they are more left of center than he is, considerably left of center than he is, 
um, you will see some some more um, evolutions, or I should say devolutions, uh, in the Fox News Network and their other news media holdings. And so now more than ever, it is essential that we have alternative media. So please, if you can, support the show by telling people about it and going forward with it. We would appreciate it. What would really help to expand the show is if you could go to the um, iTunes App Store and write us a review. Give us a good review. Don't just click off five stars, but make some comments about why you like the show. We would greatly appreciate it. But right now, uh, back to Sidney Powell. Now, I'm sure you all either saw or heard of that big news release on Sunday on the part of the Trump legal team stating that um, famous defense attorney, former federal prosecutor Sidney Powell, was now off the team. Well, that's true. And it isn't true. She really was technically never on it. She never signed a retainer with the president. She made a statement that she agrees with that statement on the part of the Trump team. She never signed a retainer. She was never paid any fee. Um, and so she technically was never on the team. What she really was, what she always was, and this is simply a reaffirmation of this, and it explains a lot, and that's why I'm here to unpack this for you, is that Sidney Powell is a concerned patriotic American who was working on an issue which was extremely relevant to the Trump campaign, but not working on it for the Trump campaign per se, if that makes sense to you. She is alleging massive election fraud on a scale that would boggle the mind. The Trump campaign also alleges election fraud, but they're a going about it a different way. They're going about it by trying to disqualify certain ballots, by saying equal protection under the law was denied. There are a host of litigations. There are something on the order of 16 litigations in four states right now relevant to election fraud. But Sidney Powell's angle is something of a very high-tech nature, revolving around the software and how things were counted. And that's something that the Trump campaign itself, his legal team, is not doing as much with. So what is now emerging uh, in the several days that have elapsed since that announcement was made is that Sidney Powell is not backing down, she's not slowing down, she's doubling down, she's filing a massive lawsuit in the state of Georgia along with Linwood on Wednesday, that would be tomorrow, and it's supposed to be explosive. Now we know what it's going to be uh, about. It's going to be about this, this uh, fraud. Uh, she has evidence, she says, from both um, affidavits and former members of people that were uh, of the company that was involved in the development of this software, Smartmatic, Dominion, to explain just how these things are done. And she actually has represented that the capacity of these voting systems to change votes, weight votes differently, uh, meaning one vote for one candidate can count as a vote in a quarter, while a vote for another candidate can only count as three-quarters of a vote, is built right into the software and is even advertised in its manual as a selling point of the software. And she maintains that this software was originally developed for Hugo Chavez in Venezuela when a referendum that he wanted to see passed in his country failed, and he vowed after that that he would never lose a referendum or an election again, and so he had this thing developed so he could do whatever he wanted. Now, even if you didn't want to believe these allegations of Sidney Powell regarding 
the specifics of the allegations. As I said in a show last week, the thing that really piques my interest and should bother every fair-minded American is what is a foreign-owned company doing having anything to do with our election? Why is software made by a Canadian company with all of the high-tech companies and the geniuses we have in this country, why is a Canadian company the company that is doing this? That's the first thing. Why are there servers located in Frankfurt, Germany, counting votes, possibly Serbia, Venezuela, Barcelona, Spain, where the American military conducted a raid? That should bother a lot of people. Once things are out in cyberspace and go over the Internet, uh, things can be compromised. And we know for sure that they're not secure. So this alone raises questions. Other anecdotal evidence furthers this concern. We see six states, all controlled by Democrats, all simultaneously electing to stop counting once the vote count had gotten too big for Trump, to the point where if they had counted any more votes, it would have been mathematically impossible for somebody to catch up. It's still almost mathematically impossible the way it happened. And so that's uh, all part of the anecdotal evidence. Beyond this, Sidney Powell and her people have real evidence. They have affidavits of people who witnessed this, who witnessed truckloads of ballots coming in, coming in in Biden-Harris campaign vans, not new, um, United States Postal Service vans, but in campaign vans. We have affidavits, people who will swear to it. We have people who will swear to seeing vote ballots filled out by poll workers. And we have something like 135,000 ballot dump, and every single one of them in Michigan was for Joe Biden, with no down ballot races checked off. These things just don't happen in the normal course of events. Now, there was, as uh, the Epic Times is reporting, an explosive new litigation filed in federal district court on November 21st, which details and documents a wide variety of illegal practices that were used to inflate the number of votes received by Democratic presidential candidate Joe Biden, including disparate treatment of voters based on where they live and outright manipulation of Pennsylvania's voter registration system by partisan activists. Now listen to this. An unprecedented number of mail-in and absentee ballots were cast this year, and practically everyone expected that this would result in a higher-than-usual rate of ballots being rejected for various flaws. You know, every year people mail in their ballots, and usually it's their absentee ballots, which I have no problem with because, as I've said before, those are ballots that are requested by a living, breathing, specific individual and mailed to a specific address. They're not just random ballots that are mailed out to everyone uh, without regard to whether those voter rolls are accurate or not. And so every year, a certain number of them are rejected because mistakes are made. They weren't sealed right, missing information. Uh, lacking a secrecy envelope, because apparently when you put these things into the envelope that the Postal Service sees, there's another envelope within that envelope, and that's supposed to be a secure, what they call secrecy envelope. If someone just takes their ballot and puts it in the mail envelope that comes with it from the Board of Elections, and it doesn't go in the secrecy envelope, that ballot is technically invalid. And other people have missing information. So now in Pennsylvania, tens or hundreds of thousands of ballots were likely to be rejected based on historical patterns, 
because in years past, as I said, we never had this volume of mail-in ballots. So if anything, we would have expected on orders of magnitude far more ballots rejected this year than in any year prior. Instead, 0.03%. That's not 3%, ladies and gentlemen. That's 0.03%. That's three hundredths of 1%. Three hundredths of 1% of mail-in ballots were ultimately rejected, somewhere in the neighborhood of about 1,000 votes. Now, I'm not saying I passed calculus, and I'm not saying any of you did either. But in the state of Pennsylvania, ladies and gentlemen, 6,500,000 ballots were cast total. A lot of them in person, just as many in mail-in. Does anyone really believe that 1,000 votes out of the better part of 3 million votes cast that way were the only ones that were defective? That alone is statistically almost impossible. So there's a lot of evidence that's coming in here uh, that is tough to put it all together in a short period of time, but they're working feverishly and they're working fast. And I encourage everyone not to be too taken aback or upset by these things that are going on, like Biden supposedly naming cabinet people and uh, receiving intelligence briefings and the like and so forth. These are things that are more or less contingency plans that if for some reason he does prevail, that a, a proper transition is not delayed, but it has no force of law. Uh, they're not getting really the people who are being... Um, uh, suggested for cabinet positions. They still have to be approved by a Senate, so they're not getting all these, this information. But in the weight of all of this, these, these incredible statistics, the notion that these states are saying they've seen no evidence of voter fraud is ludicrous. There is specific evidence. A sworn affidavit is considered powerful evidence. Sworn testimony in a court of law is considered powerful evidence. And as Rudolph Giuliani stated in that press conference last week, the Biden people are certainly entitled to and free to cross-examine those witnesses, but you can't dismiss them and call them no evidence. You can't dismiss them at all. They have to be heard. Now, Alan Dershowitz, the professor emeritus at Harvard University, an expert on constitutional law, says that President Trump has some excellent uh, challenges in the state of Pennsylvania on equal protection and other things because the standard that was held to in-person ballots, uh, not the same as, as uh, absentee ballots, and that there was disparate treatment among different counties in the state of Pennsylvania. So there's a, a, a big chance there. So you have 217 votes for the president, plus uh, North Carolina, he's at 232. Um, Pennsylvania puts him at 252, only 18 votes away. And now things start to get interesting, because Georgia has 16 and there's a lot of anomalies and problems there. Michigan has a lot of problems with ballot dumps in the city of Detroit. Arizona, a lot of problems there. We're not talking about having to change a lot of votes in this election. We're talking Donald Trump got 73 million votes. They're telling us Joe Biden got more. So we're talking about 145 million votes cast in this election and four, less than 450,000 have decided the states of Arizona, Michigan, 
Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, and Georgia. That's not a lot. Not a lot at all. And it's very, very queer to me that Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania, Democratic states, Georgia, all decided simultaneously on election eve that they would stop counting. And again, this is all anecdotal. This is, these are things that we know to be true, that can't be denied by anyone. So what do we do? Well, what we do is we pray that God moves his giant hand just as he did when he let Donald Trump become elected president in the first place, and that he gives the judges the intestinal fortitude to do what is right. Because I'm convinced that this evidence is even remotely as potent as Sidney Powell and Rudy Giuliani have said it is, and I have no reason to doubt them. They have impeccable reputations, and I can't believe that any of these people— Joe DeGeneva, Sidney Powell, Lynn Wood, um, and Giuliani would, would put their reputations on the line and sacrifice a lifetime of public service and, and building up their reputations on a pipe dream. No way. They have to know it's true. Now, all they have to do is convince the right judges that it's true. But what do we do? What is the way forward? Because even if we get Donald Trump in the, in the Oval Office again, the deep state isn't going anywhere, so how do we stop it? How do we prevent this seemingly inexorable, unstoppable uh, blue plague? I'm not going to call it a blue wave. I'm going to call it a blue plague. Well, it's not unstoppable. The real reason why they've been having the success they have is that our own party has no intestinal fortitude. With the exception of a handful, and I'm not the only one that has said this, the Jim Jordans the Devin Nunezes, the Matt Getz in Florida, you know, just a few, Ted Cruz, Lindsey Graham. Nobody's fighting. Nobody's fighting at all. The Republicans seem to like to be in the minority because when they get the majority, they don't seem to have the, the chutzpah to do anything about it. So it's clear to me that if we had a strong Republican Party, a Republican Party that circled the wagons and stood by their people to the extent that the Democrats stand by their people, we wouldn't have this problem. So what's the answer? Well, I've been holding off supporting this for a long time. But I can't hold off any longer. It's time for the Republican Party to go. Now, it may not go in the next four years if Trump gets back in office because he needs them. But if Trump doesn't get back in office, or if he does after he leaves office, there's going to be a move to start a third party. Perhaps a party that no longer exists but did exist in the beginning of the country. I don't think there's a, a Federalist Party. If there is, it isn't very big. There is a Federalist Society. But the Federalists were one of the big parties. And we you know what federalism is? Federalism is basically the sort of government that we have where the federal government just sets a minimum standard of rights that every individual state needs to set. But the primary governance of the country is supposed to be at the state level. The federal government is not supposed to be in everybody's lives. So perhaps we need a party like the Federalist Party, if not that name itself, where all of the people who are candidates for this party must have some common things that they swear they will fight for and not move away from. And if they do, that party should refuse to back them in any primaries for any future election should they be successful in winning the first time. They should all be for term limits. 
They should all be in favor of Congress being allowed to pass no law that is not also equally applicable to themselves, the members of Congress. Congressional officials should also no longer be able to vote themselves pay raises. Pay raises should only be awarded by ballot referendum voted on by the people. Now, the fourth one that a lot of people like is a constitutional convention. There hasn't been a constitutional convention since the original convention, which gave us our current present-day constitution in 1789. Uh, I have vacillated back and forth about whether I thought that was a good idea. I know the late Justice Scalia thought it was a bad idea because he was afraid that you never know how it's going to go. It could be incredibly politicized, and with the power of the tech people and social media and the media, you don't know what kind of constitution you might have. So the constitution that we have, uh, I think, is is better than trying to risk uh, on a pipe dream some new constitution. However, I have fully every bit of confidence in what I just said about a congressional amendment that is passed or a law that is passed that Congress must pass no law that is not applicable to itself, as in Obamacare. That had to be the height of privilege. And it's not white privilege, ladies and gentlemen. Everybody calls it racist. There are black people in Congress. There are Latino people in Congress. It's the ruling class privilege. It's those who are in power and those who are not. Obamacare was the greatest thing, they told you. It was great for you. It's not great for us, but it's great for you. So take it, shut up, do as you're told. That's what we got going on here. So we, we need to get a Federalist Party. Now, what will happen? Well, if we get a Federalist Party and it begins to get some traction, uh, that traction will probably come at the expense of mostly Republicans, but also some Democrats. Democrats like Joe Manchin in West Virginia, uh, who have to be a little more conservative than the rest and probably uh, wins because it was traditionally a Democratic place, but they're a little more socially conservative and they don't want to go for a Republican, they might be wooed away by somebody who didn't have the name Republican in front of them on the ballot. They might like a Federalist candidate. I think within a few years, you will see a few, a few races, uh, you will see the Federalist Party or this third party having a significant presence in Congress. And while it may not be sufficient in the beginning to prevent one of the other for, uh, currently existing parties, Republicans or Democrats, from controlling the houses of Congress, or having a majority, um, it would prevent them from passing a lot of legislation. I mean, I'm not quite so sure how it would work with three parties. If you have three parties, that, that's something we're going to have to look into. If one party doesn't have 50%, if one party has 48%, another party has 30-some-odd, another party has the rest, uh, how do you determine committee seats? Is it apportioned? I don't know. But I think that that third party will make a big impact. And once that genie is out of the bottle, it's going to be very, very difficult to put it back in. So these are the lines along which... I am working, and I think a lot of alternative media people are working, and I intend to keep pushing this, uh, this idea until it catches on, and I think it will. Meanwhile, here in my home state of New York, we have um, El Supremo, the benighted Benito 
Mussolini Cuomo, Andrew Cuomo, telling everyone how we have to limit family gatherings for Thanksgiving because, oh, we have to watch out for COVID. Affects the old people, you know. And then he proceeds to invite his 89-year-old mother to his house for Thanksgiving. And you know that Gavon is not going to have just 10 people at his house. So let's stop kidding each other. This is all a pipe dream. And that's what I want to leave you off with. I don't want you to get to get down on yourselves because of the COVID. I mean, look, I know everybody's hawking the COVID virus, the COVID virus, the COVID virus. Enough already. The damn thing has a 99-plus percent survival rate. That's as good as the flu. The flu has a 99% survival rate. I don't know of any cancer that has a 99% survival rate. In fact, I can name a lot of diseases that don't have a 99% survival rate. And since we all have to get something sooner or later of a serious nature, if I have to get a disease, give me COVID. Please, give me COVID. I'll take my chances. I'll, I'll run the risk on this one and take the disease with the 99% survival rate. That's what I'll go for. Because there's no need to be shutting down this country this way. I'm going to just give you a little perspective before I go. I'm hoping to get another show in before Thanksgiving, but in case I don't, this will be my last one before Thanksgiving. Uh, and so before I wish you all a happy Thanksgiving, I just want to put this in perspective for you. I know that 250-some-odd thousand people have died from COVID in the United States. But for those of you who have never listened before, just listen to what I have to say now, because I've said this before. 64,000 people or more die each year in the United States from the regular flu, and 54 million people get it. And this is a disease that people have some immunity to, and they have a vaccine for, and we still get 54 million people getting it, and 64,000 people die. The COVID-19 virus, they tell you nobody has any immunity for it. And they tell you there's no vaccine for it until recently, but nobody's had it yet. And now they estimate, even though 10.9 million people have tested positive for it because they've gone into a hospital based on the fact that they have symptoms, we also know that 97% of people who get it are completely asymptomatic and therefore have no reason to get tested because they have no reason to believe they have it. And based on mathematical patterns and probabilities, they estimate that over 110 million people in this country have had COVID-19. And we have 250,000 people dead. So that's a little more than the seasonal flu in proportion. But remember that a lot of those deaths have been artificially created. One, people who are dying from other diseases have their remains tested after they're dead. If they test positive for the COVID-19 antibody, they put down that it's COVID-19 they get more money from the government. Even though the person technically died with COVID, not from COVID. Secondly, there were thousands, tens of thousands of deaths in this country that needn't have happened at all due to COVID-19. And we're talking about the nursing homes where the geniuses, particularly in five states, I'm talking about the governors, the governors in California, the governors in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Michigan, and of course the big one with Benito, New York, mandated that nursing homes accept COVID-19 positive patients, thereby introducing into a population already aged and compromised, and in various states of compromised health, this contagion to which they were most vulnerable. So we have many thousands that didn't need to die at all because of gubernatorial stupidity. So when you add it all up, this really isn't a hell of a lot more deadly
than a regular flu. You never hear about the regular flu because your phone isn't blowing up every five minutes telling you about the regular flu. It's only blowing up telling you about COVID. Now, if we want to take the position that anytime anybody dies, we've got to shut everything down. Well, let me tell you, ladies and gentlemen, there's a lot of reasons to shut this country down. Every year, 50,000 Americans die on American highways for a variety of reasons. And we can stop all of those deaths. Just forbid anybody to drive. That was the extremely gifted insight of the late William F. Buckley Jr. He had a show that ran for 30-plus years on public television called Firing Line, where he used to debate and question uh, liberals of the day. And twice a year he would do a show where he turned the tables and he would allow three liberals to come on the show and grill him. Mark Green, the former uh, public advocate, benighted individual of the city of New York, was questioning Mr. Buckley because at that time they were debating, this was in the 80s, they were debating um, about bringing back the 65-mile-an-hour speed limit. The, at that time, the speed limit had been reduced to 55 by President Jimmy Carter during the gas crisis on the theory that lowering the speed limit would save gas and keep the prices from getting out of control. It did neither, but be it as it may, we were stuck with a 55-mile-an-hour speed limit. And the National Highway Safety Board said that 500 more people, give or take, will die if the speed limit were raised back to 65. And uh, Mark Green was questioning Mr. Buckley why he supported this 65-mile-an-hour speed limit, uh, be, being rather heartless because knowing this would, would uh, cause 500 more people to die. And Mr. Buckley pointed out, well, you want to save 500 lives? He goes, I have a way of saving 50,000 lives. We just forbid anybody to drive. So you see, ladies and gentlemen, in a civilized society, people who have a brain in their heads understand that death is a part of life. Nobody gets out of the game of life alive. We all die. And knowing this, a certain amount of death is acceptable because we have no choice but to accept it. We can't keep, keep people alive forever. We do our best. doesn't mean we go out of our way to kill people. But we realize that everything in life is a trade-off. And so you do have to see Mr. Buckley's logic. How can you get so armored and upset about 500 lives when you're willing to accept 50,000 lives being killed? So the first 50,000 lives, the first 50,000 mothers, fathers, children, sons, daughters, grandparents that perished, you were willing to accept those with no problem. But that is last 500 was just more than you could bear. The same principle is involved here, ladies and gentlemen. It's no different. It's no different. We can't prevent everyone from dying. And shutting down businesses, bringing people into financial ruin, causing other health-related matters to go undiagnosed, unchecked, and unattended to, bringing people to the brink of suicide and alcoholism because the world is just going down the toilet, that's not a way to live either. You go forward, you live with it, like President Trump said, and he put in Operation Warp Speed, and now we've got two vaccines in the pipeline which are going to be out in the beginning of the year, all thanks to President Donald Trump. Not a Republican Congress, not a Democratic Congress, not sleepy Joe Biden who steals every chance he gets, but to Donald Trump. And mark my words, Biden's going to try and take credit for it. We already see things changing now. Now the CDC is issuing guidelines as of today saying that, well, if you test positive from COVID, you might not need to be 
quarantine for two weeks. It might need to be a lot less now. Already setting the groundwork, letting you know, well, it's not as bad as we thought. It was bad when they wanted to get rid of Trump, but now all of a sudden, we don't know. I still think they're not going to let you go off the hook. I still think they're going to try and use it to shut the country down again because they want everybody broken out. Because only when they get everybody broken out, nobody has a way to make a living anymore, can they force socialism down your throat. So, when you sit around your tables this Thursday for Thanksgiving, give thanks, a real thanks. Give thanks to the man upstairs that he censured Donald Trump for the last four years to try and stave this off. Give thanks that in the weight of all of this, with the media telling him he's finished, he's far from finished and he's continuing to fight. He's not cowering. He's calculating. He's working. Give thanks that you have your family with you. Give thanks that you still have your job, if you do. Give thanks that they haven't taken the Senate. But more than anything, give thanks that there's always hope as long as none of us give up hope. For National Preview Online, I'm Jamie Dury. Happy Thanksgiving.